Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Thank you for taking time to join us as we take time to learn from God's Word together. The message you are about to hear comes from the Cape Elizabeth Church of the Nazarene in Cape Elizabeth, Maine. Listen to more sermons or learn more about the church at our website, capenazarene.org. We have been, uh, over these last few weeks, uh, uh, focused on prayer and, and walking together through uh, the prayer journal. I hope you found those uh, uh, to be helpful. And uh, they often give us little different areas in which kind of to focus our attention and our prayer life for that day. And, uh, and I found myself uh, thinking about uh, the impact of, of a praying church. And uh, throughout uh, uh, my life in church... One of the uh, example, great examples of prayer that I would receive were, was whenever a, a missionary would come to the church. So a few uh, months ago, we had a Faith Promise Sunday, and we actually had uh, a local uh, um, a ministry speaker come and told us about Transformation Project and some of the work going on there and what God is doing in their lives. And uh, when I was growing up, I remember a lot of times for those Faith Promise Sundays, we would have missionaries who would come and speak. So missionaries, when they would have their deputation, they'd have their moments when they would come back to the States, they said, from wherever they were, wherever they were serving. They would be back in the States for six months, well, anywhere from three to nine months. And they would travel and they would collect funds and, uh, for, to help with their missionary activity. But as much as... Uh, they were speaking at different churches, collecting funds for their various mission projects. The thrust of their message, the thrust of their request, was less about the funds and more asking for prayer from the church. That again was their message. And while they presented what some of the funds had done, what they, the, 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 the greater thrust of the message was what God was doing in answer to prayer. And so I found wonderful, wonderful stories where missionaries would share what God was doing. And oftentimes, uh, I remember two kind of big examples. One of them was a missionary saying that after, talk about how God had answered a prayer, they had received a letter or uh, some kind of message of someone who had committed to praying for them within the church. And uh, they said, hey, on this day, I was woken up from my sleep, and I just felt impressed by God to pray for you. And so I hope everything is going okay, and I wrote this letter to see how you were doing. And the missionary, of course, read this and knows, of course, where I'm serving in the world. It's daytime. It's nighttime for you. And when he looked at the day that he said that this one had been woken up with a sense of urgency for prayer, he realized it was a moment uh, in, their, uh, in their ministry where God had moved in a powerful way to overcome an obstacle. And it coincided with the praying partner on the other side of the globe. And, and I love that story because it shows indeed how we participate in the activity of God, and that our prayers are not just for what we know and can see and encounter here, but oftentimes are participating in the activity of God in other areas of the world. That was part of the testimony of some of the missionaries who would come. And a second story that I heard that has just kind of stayed with me, this was like, I heard this, man, 
I might have been in high school, high school or college. I heard this a while ago, so my, all the details are a little fuzzy, but I still remember the thrust of the message. The, the story is this. The missionary was going to a church and had some funds to, to help with the, the building and planting of this new church. And so there was, uh, but this uh, missionary was going through an area they didn't normally go through, and a local was helping them uh, get through, uh, show them the way through this road to go to this new church. And so as they're going down the road, they notice a checkpoint, a, a place with armed men who uh, would often stop people coming by and collect a toll. <laughs> and uh, that toll would be whatever they thought you could pay. And maybe they would even check your things for that as well. And so uh, they were going through and praying about what was going to happen here because they, when they saw them... They had also seen them. There was no turning around. But the resources they had were specifically for this ministry and this place where they were going. And, and so they are praying all along. And as they're praying and they go up and they slow down to this checkpoint, um, uh, they stop and they waved them through. And they were praising God that God allowed them to go through and not have the resources that they needed for the work God was calling them to do taken from them. And I remember that story. That story has stayed with me. One, one of the things that has, and again, a testimony about how moments like that are because of the prayer that is enacted by the church and prayer of the people. And this story that I'm going to share with you from Acts chapter 12 today is a story about a church that is praying fervently for someone who is in danger, for someone who desperately needs the intercession of God. And so this is a, this is a pastor that reminds that when we pray, to pray regularly, to pray fervently. And so as we've gone through kind of this praying our way to Pentecost, let us remember that our prayers matter in our world, and our prayers often are helping us participate in the activity that God wants to do. Let's look at Acts chapter 12 together. About that time, King Herod laid violent hands upon some who belonged to the church. He had James, the brother of John, killed with the sword. After he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the festival of unleavened bread. When he had seized him, he put him in prison and handed him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending to bring him out to the people after the Passover. While Peter was kept in prison, the church prayed fervently to God for him. Let me, give, let me give the background here. So, King Herod, this is... Now, if you find yourself in King Herod, is that the same Herod who uh, killed the babies when Jesus was born? No, it's not, but you're supposed to wonder that. You're supposed to think that. He didn't say, hey, this is King Herod Agrippa, this is his grandson. It just says King Herod. Yeah, we get to see that indeed, once again, the ruler's acting against the movement of God. And so he's already killed one of them. And he's arrested Peter. And this has happened around the Festival of Leavened Bread. He's going to bring them before him after Passover. I can't help but think King Herod is going, hmm, it was just a year or so ago that we killed their leader. Oh, let's make it an anniversary celebration. We'll get Peter too. And I just can't help but think. He's thinking, okay, we're going to continue to make an example of this movement. But the testimony of the church is, 
This is not an anniversary of tragedy. This is an anniversary of God's deliverance from slavery. This is an anniversary of when they, if you will, washed the frames of their door with blood, as we just sang, washed in the blood of the Lamb, and they were freed from uh, their sins. They were, or they were freed from that which enslaved them. And so God continues today to free us from that which will enslave us and will indeed work with Peter. But right now, the church is offering constant, fervent prayer for Peter because Herod has just killed James. Peter's arrested and he has every reason to believe he is next. But they are asking for God to move. For God to be there with him. You know, every Sunday we have a prayer where we are asking God to be with us. In our bulletins, it's called the prayer of invocation or, often, or just the invocation. It's a word that means we are inviting God to be with us and uh, to dwell with us in our worship, in our lives. That in our concerns, our moments that feel like we are in chains, that in those moments, God will be with us. That's what a prayer of invocation is. It's a welcoming of God to be with us. But we know, theologically, God's always with us. God's everywhere. He can see everywhere. He's everywhere. We, we already know this. So the question might be, why the prayer of invocation then? But we pray this because prayer is always meant to be participatory. Okay, God, we're asking for you to help. It's not magical, right? We don't pray and then God acts. We pray so we can see and be involved in the activity of God. So if God is with us, we want to pray indeed that we would open the doors of our hearts to what the Holy Spirit wants to do. And so we do this as a part of our worship. And so the church is praying again and again, God, please intercede, please move, please be with us in this moment. They are asking God to move in a mighty way. And as we go through this passage, we'll see that the church is praying fervently and it is making a difference. Uh, Verse 6 says, The very night before Herod was going to bring him out, Peter, bound with two chains, was sleeping between two soldiers, while guards in front of the door were keeping watch over the prison. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He tapped Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his wrists. The angel said to him, Fasten your belt, put on your sandals. And he did so. Then he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And Peter went out and followed him. And he did not realize that what was happening with, with the angel's help was real. He thought he was seeing a vision. I want to pause there for a moment. Peter here is in prison, knows his death is on the horizon, and he is sleeping. He fell asleep. And that kind of blows my mind that he's able to fall asleep knowing death is imminent. Just this last week or two, we got to hear a story of, of, a, uh, of, a, of a political exchange between two countries, an American and a Russian prison exchange for a Russian that, that, that we had. An exchange, and as he came back, this one who had been arrested on heinous charges just for political capital, what he testified to was, I had no hope in there. 
I had no belief at all I was getting out. I wouldn't allow myself to hope. I didn't believe I was getting out at all. I was certain that was where I was going to die. And his story is that the first two nights that they had him in this uh, terrible prison meant for, for murderers, meant for the worst of the worst, because he would not sign a paper saying he was guilty. They put him in the most hardened prison. He said, those first two nights, I did not sleep because I was terrified if I closed my eyes, I would die. And I find myself thinking, this is the fear. This is what is happening. And and when I hear this story about Peter, I can't help but think, we're about to hear this story of a miracle, about his chains falling off and how he gets out of prison. But there's a part of me that can't help but think, there's another miracle in this story as well. And part of it, I think, is the miracle that Peter is able to sleep at all, knowing that he is going to die, knowing that the guards are on both sides of him, that they're at the gates, that without a doubt that they are going to be dragging him off, that Passover is going to be over any moment now, and that his death is evident. And I think a lot of times when we think of the miracles that God does, we think about after the fact. We think about the miracles of, um, of deliverance, of not having to put up with or deal with whatever it is that is holding us back. But sometimes, I wonder if we can recognize that there is a miracle in having confidence that God is with us through the thick of it. That God is with us in those moments when it seems like we have been held back. That that too is a kind of miracle. Peter sleeping the night before he's to die, that seems crazy. But yet, there's a, there's a passage I, I want to share. Uh, I almost had us read it this week, and Diane reminded me. I think we've read it like twice in the last three or four weeks. Uh, that, that Paul says in Philippians, he says, Be anxious for nothing and everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. All I can do to think to explain what is happening with Peter here is in this moment, the peace of God, which surpasses any other, there's there's no reason he should be able to sleep. There's no reason. But yet, he finds his comfort in God. And he knows that even with the worst that they might do, he is a follower of Jesus. And God got the last word there. And God will get the last word with him as well. And so an angel of the Lord stands by him, kind of nudges him, makes sure he's awake, kind of taps him, hits him, smacks him. I don't know, depends on what your translation says. Get up, Peter, and uh, and rise quickly. You're going to get your cloak on. You're going to get your sandals on. It's time to go. And his chains fell off. The missionary story I I shared at the beginning... Uh, isn't the end of the story. I kind of pause it there for a moment. Uh, the missionary story where they walked by and they didn't stop and seems like, okay, well, that's well and good. It's a nice story. But on the way back, after they had done their mission work, after they helped with the church, they were on their way back. On their way back, there was another encounter with them. And again, it was just this missionary and just the, uh, the local, local guide. And on their way back, they had another run-in with them. And they stopped them. And they said to them, and they said, where were you? Didn't you just pass by here uh, the other day? And they said, yeah, we were just, yes, yes, we did. And they said, uh, 
Where are the others who were with you? So what do you mean the, other, the others? Where, where are the others, the, the armed men who are with you, who are traveling with you yesterday? And they're like, it's just us today. And it was just them the day before as well. And the testimony of the missionary is that on that day, the prayers of the church interceded and God sent angels, allowed them to see that they were protected and God was going to see them through. Peter wakes up and he doesn't even realize what's happened. He thinks he's still dreaming. Well, it says he's had a vision. Maybe, maybe, maybe dream's a bit of a stretch. But he's thinking to himself, you know, I don't know what this is. Am I just seeing things? Does it appear like I'm just being freed? But the, but the freedom is real. God absolutely is setting him free from his change. And I think this is an important lesson for us in this, in this time of prayer that we have as well. I think sometimes in our prayers, if, if we are praying for God to deliver us from something, uh, a sin, or, 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 or an attitude, or, or a way of life that just seems to kind of bring us down, or a way of thinking that brings us down, I think sometimes in our prayers, we pray the prayer, and then we go on expecting that the chains are still there. We go on expecting that the prison is still there. The belief that God might actually answer that prayer sometimes seems as vaporous as a dream or as a vision. But this passage tells us the angel of the Lord was still with them. There's a, there's a story about an angel of the Lord uh, with God's people elsewhere in Scripture as well. Uh, one of the most common ones I heard uh, growing up as a child even is a story of, 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 um, of uh, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Daniel, right, right, that story of, uh, of the king, uh, a king not unlike Herod, who is upset with their worship of God and throws them into the fiery furnace. And yet, he looks and sees that there is another among them. Another who seems to be in the fire, and they are not hurt. And the testimony of Daniel is indeed that they are saved from the destruction of that leader. That word, that story, echoed, I think, in what we heard in Isaiah 43 earlier. When you pass through the rivers, they won't sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned that our God does indeed sometimes answer our prayers in ways that we cannot imagine. Even in this prison, God is standing beside Peter. Verse 7 says, The angel struck his side, raised him up. Let's go. And the chains fell off his hands. When we close today, we're going to sing a hymn, uh, And Can It Be, by Charles Wesley. One of my favorite lines in that hymn is the line, My chains fell off, my heart was free, I rose, went forth, and followed thee. It is, it is, it is a reminder, it is, uh, it is pulling from this story, a reminder that God sets us free from what chains us and holds us back, that God is still in the saving and liberating business. And this is how God is responding to the church As they intercede for Peter, the church is still praying fervently for his deliverance. And so, as we can hear, the the, the angel says, get your sandals, get your cloak, let's go. So Peter goes out and thinks he's having this vision. But when, uh, and after they had passed, verse 10, after they had passed the first and the second guard, they came before the iron gate leading into the city. And it opened for them of its own accord. 
And they went outside and walked along a lane when suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Well, now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hands of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. And as soon as he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many had gathered and were praying. So he goes to the disciples and they are gathered together. And this isn't just, hey, we're getting together for the night. This isn't just uh, we're mourning together what's going to happen. They are fervently praying for God to do something, anything, to save Peter. And Peter shows up and that's what he finds them doing. This is a church that is interceding for him. And what happens next is, it's kind of comical. Like this is an amazing story. It goes from tragedy to great victory to kind of humor here in this moment. So verse 13 says this, it says, uh, When he knocked at the outer gate, right, because... The angel's left, so he can't just walk through the gates anymore. <laughs> the angel's not opening them for him, so now he's stuck outside the outer gate. When he knocked at the outer gate, a maid named Rhoda came to answer. On recognizing Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that instead of opening the gate, she ran in and announced, Hey, Peter's standing at the gate. And they said to her, You're out of your mind. But she insisted that it was so, and so they said, Oh, it's his angel. And meanwhile, Peter continued knocking. And when they opened the gate, they saw him and were amazed. He motioned to them with his hand to be silent and described for them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he added, tell this to James and to the believers. And he left and went to another place. Oh, this is a great story. Peter, knock, 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 I'm here. And, and Rhoda just recognizes his voice, knows it's in. And she's so excited that he's there. She can't even open the gate. She, she has to tell everybody, but he's still out there. And they don't believe her at all until... Through the conversation, yes, he's there. No, it's an angel. Well, come on, he's there. They hear the incessant knocking. Are you going to let me in? And it's just amazing. I try to picture this scene, the wide eyes. It's actually Peter. I think we see that scene whenever we see a, uh, uh, one of those tear-jerking videos of a soldier who comes home and surprises their family, right? And they look, and they're like, wait, What? I have been praying every day for your safety. I've been praying every day for your return, and here you are. We get a glimpse of it. That's Acts 12. My favorite of those videos are the ones where he's not in uniform, and the crowd doesn't see it, and he, and he like sneaks up behind them or is wearing a costume of some sort, and, and they do a little double take. And, you know, they're doing their thing. They're taking their picture or whatever it is, and then she looks and sees someone who's dressed just like everyone else. And then, then, wait, what? I know that face. I know those eyes. I know that voice. That's what happens here in Acts chapter 12. Rhoda's like, I know this one. I know this one. And everyone does a kind of double take. Peter is here. The church in prayer is knocking at heaven's door asking for God to intercede. And God... I think is often knocking at our door, asking for us to open up our hearts and allow Him in. Asking us to orient our lives to His will and what He wants and to trust and believe that He is at work. This is a verse that reminds us that our prayer makes a difference and our prayer is, is participating 
in ways in which God may be moving and we just don't know yet. We just haven't had the opportunity to see where deliverance is coming. There are often kind of two kinds of prayer as I, as I look through this. There's that we, one kind of prayer that we often have is the, is the get me out prayer. The God just get me on the other side of this. I want to see the deliverance. I want to see the miracle. I just, I just need to see the, see the end result. Peter's freed from prison. I, I need to see that in my life or see that for this situation. But I think there's another kind of prayer too. Like I said with Peter falling asleep, that miracle, if you will, to get me through prayer. It's that this is where I am right now. And, and Lord, uh, we're going to need your help. We need to figure out how, uh, how it is that we're going to participate in that. How it is that we see through hard times. How we participate in what God wants to do in our life. I think in some ways that's where we are after um, a week of tragedy. You find yourself, okay, how do we get through this again? Okay, God, what are you going to do? How are you going to move? And, and how can I participate as we pray? And I think sometimes we, we find ourselves wondering, okay, what happens now? Okay, there, there's, there's a moment of reprieve, but what happens next? In Acts chapter 12, Herod is still on the throne. Peter's gone now, but he's still on the throne. Can you imagine if soldier had walked by while Rhoda was telling the people because she forgot to open up the gate? Like, like, like he, he, it's still a danger for them. He might still be looking for someone to kill after the Passover. And uh, we know that there are, of course, still Herods alive today. Whether they, like this king, are in charge of armies and soldiers, or whether they are people with, um, just with a manifesto, and a desire to take life into their own hands and play God. There are still Herods in our world today. This is what Acts chapter 12 says about that. Verse 18, when morning came, there was no small commotion among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. When Herod had searched for him and could not find him, he examined the guards and ordered them to be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. Now Herod, verse 20, was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, so they came to him in a body, and after winning over Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for a reconciliation, because their, king, their country depended on the king's country for food. And on an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat on the platform, and delivered a public address to them, and the people kept shouting, Oh, the voice of a God and not of a mortal. And immediately, because he had not given the glory to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down and he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of God continued to advance and gain adherence. Then after completing the mission, Barnabas and Saul returned to Jerusalem and brought with him John, whose other name was Mark. In this story, Herod, so upset that he wasn't able to kill one of the apostles kills the guards in charge to make sure that they weren't involved. That is their punishment. That's why they would never get involved because they are responsible with their own lives for the lives of those underneath their care. And so he has them killed. And, uh, and as he is orating and speaking of his great prowess to the city-states or, 
regions or nations around him, they are, they are enamored with who he is, with his great speech. There's a non-Christian historian who tells this story as well. They say he also had like a silver royal robe, and so it sparkled, and so he shone like the gods, and the people acclaimed him as such. He has taken the seat and the glory and the honor of the people for himself and has taken this place of a God, has, wants them to see him as such. He does not, according to Scripture, uh, take on, uh, uh, give any credit to the Lord. He does not say, no, there's another God to worship. Indeed, he takes it on. And he's used to having the claims and powers over life. What he says, people does, he is living like a deity. And so he takes it on. And what Scripture says is he becomes food for worms. Food for worms. He dies immediately. Even the non-Christian historian says, shortly afterwards, he comes down with an affliction in his stomach and he dies from that. And so this, like, like corroborating, sorry, this isn't just like, Christian kind of, uh, you know, like, I don't know what to call this, hagiography. This isn't just like, uh, this isn't just, hey, this is how good Peter is, and this is how bad Herod is. We're, we're telling a story here. This is what happens with Herod. His life does not last much longer after Peter's release. And the scripture tells us he is food for worms. When they die, there is no hope. There is nothing left for them. They're worm food. Centuries later, I mean, I mean, this is an insult for them. Centuries later, we call them worm feces now, I guess. Like, like there, there's nothing good about their future. Death is the end, and all that's left is the worms. Um, death in the New Testament has. Um, a different phrase and a different way of speaking for the saints of the church, for the believers and the Christians. Um, Paul and the apostles say that when a Christian has died, that they've fallen asleep. It's a completely different phrase, and it's only reserved for those who are following Jesus. It's because we recognize in the grand scheme of things that there is a resurrection that those who have died in faith in the Lord indeed will awaken again. And that while indeed there is a time of mourning, while indeed there's a time of missing, but there is a promise and there is a future. And so Scripture says they have fallen asleep. Not so for the Herods of this world. There is no such hope as that. And the reason for that is that there is no place in God's kingdom for those who seek to destroy and work with violence against God's people. It's why we read today from Revelation that we heard that those who don't belong are indeed kept out of the gate. Those who would hurt and destroy and use one another, they are kept out. I've come to read that a different way than I used to. When I was younger, I used to read that and go, oh no, do I get in? And I find, that, I find myself reading it a different way now. I find that going, inside is a safe place. Inside is a place where the problems of this world are no longer the problems for the rest of eternity. God answers and defeats that. And the book of Revelation is indeed a book 
of hope. It is showing indeed that the Herods of our world are defeated. And so there is no easy, there is no easy uh, word to say as a pastor or as, as someone who tries to give hope in the face of uh, tragedies that, that happen and have happened over this last week. But yet we say as a praying people, that God sometimes can move in ways we don't understand and we are called to participate in how God might call us to live and to ask when we pray, God, what would you have me do? And if there is an opportunity for me to help in some way, let me do so. And also the promise in that prayer that death and destruction do not have the final word, that our God is with us, and our prayers make a difference. And so let us remember, as we go forth this morning, to continue to pray where there is need, and to pray, God, how can I be involved? I gave you an example during announcements of how we have been praying for, uh, uh, praying for uh, refugees, and there's an opportunity that we can help if you would like to let me know and I'll send you the way in which we can sign up for that. We have been praying for how we can engage our community for the last couple of years because in all reality, it's been really hard to be able to do a lot of things outside the walls over the last couple of years. And we have an opportunity in the next month. Well, let us find ways in which, as we pray for things, to ask, okay, God, how would you have me to be faithful? Let's be surprised at what God is still going to do in our lives and in our church and how he's going to release change and set us free and go forth in the hope that no matter what happens, that God indeed has the final word in his word of hope and life for all those who follow Jesus. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you again for this time and this day of looking into your word and finding indeed that you are still the God who answers the prayers of a church that prays fervently and earnestly for your activity. Lord, I thank you that you've given me examples from the testimony of missionaries to people who have testified in church and worship about ways in which you've changed their life. And Lord, it's in those moments sometimes uh, I look and say, okay, God, I'm waiting to see how you are going to move in the face of things that happen around us. And Heavenly Father, it is my hope and it is my prayer that you help us to see how we might be able to be engaged, participate, the larger work that you are doing for us, for your kingdom, for this world. Thank you again. And Heavenly Father, as we get ready here to celebrate communion, this this meal at the Eucharistic table, Eucharist, where that means a good grace, Lord, help us remember that indeed you are the one who sets prisoners free, who passes over judgment and brings mercy and grace. And so, Lord, today it is my hope that as we receive these emblems that we are remembering that you are the God who is resurrecting and sanctifying a church. Indeed, that someday we will be able to say all that is wrong and all that is evil is outside the gate. Indeed, it is a glorious church. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this sermon podcast. 
We hope that the message has inspired you to draw closer to God each day. May God bless you as you serve Him today.